Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through His Word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today we will continue to study Romans chapter 9, and we're picking up in verse 19, and hopefully, God willing, we will finish the whole chapter. Alan is with me, and we're going to take one verse at a time. It is our goal and our desire to teach the whole Bible And so we're just going one chapter at a time, one book at a time, one verse at a time. And we are going chronologically through the New Covenant Scriptures as they were written. So today we're in Romans chapter 9, verses 19 through 33. Verse 19 says, You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? I encourage you to go back and study the first 18 verses because this is a question coming out of the understanding that everything happens by God's mercy. In verse 18, Paul says, Then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. With truth, God brought forth the message to both Israel, the people of Israel through Moses, and also to the Egyptians through Pharaoh. One, he is showing mercy upon the people of Israel, and he is hardening the heart of Pharaoh and the hearts of the Egyptian people. However, it's very important to understand that what he is doing is based upon his foreknowledge, for whom he foreknew he predestined, and how the message is coming is through truth. He is not deceiving the Egyptians, by giving them a false message. It's the same message that is coming to those that he is showing mercy upon, the Israelites, and to Moshe, to Moses. But that same message is coming to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Let my people go. And he's backing up this message with signs and wonders through the plagues. But Pharaoh's heart is not being opened It is becoming more hard all the time through all the different plagues leading to the last plague. And even as he gave the command for them to go, then he even changed his mind after that, and he pursues them and comes after them. All of this is based upon God bringing truth to both groups, one he is showing mercy upon, one he is hardening their hearts. That's the context of verse 19. So let me read verse 19 again. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? It was God's plan that one would have mercy and one would have their hearts hardened. So who can find fault? Who can resist the will of God? Let's see the answer that Paul gives to this hypothetical question. Verse 20, on the contrary, who are you, O man? Now, normally, O man is used for the Jewish people. It's an idiom to describe them, O man. However, in this context, really it's referring back to the person that is asking this hypothetical question in verse 19. Who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? 
Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? Or it can be translated dishonorable use. Doesn't the potter have the right to form from the clay and to make what he wants to make? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath? And look at how they are described, prepared for destruction. Now, what was this patience? The Israelites are the vessels that God is showing mercy upon. The vessels of destruction are the Egyptians that are under the rule of the pharaohs. And so when we look at the pharaohs, God endured with patience 400 years that the Israelites were in the land of Egypt in the region of Goshen. And you look how God is enduring these times in which Israel was brought there in order for God's safety and God's provision through Joseph. But then the pharaohs turn against the tribes of Israel and they start putting them into slavery. And through all this time, God is enduring with patience these vessels that were prepared for destruction. What the Egyptians are doing to the Israelites, God is having patience. And so one was created that God would show mercy. The other was created that God would demonstrate his power and they were prepared for destruction. And this is what we're going to see. We're going to see God's judgment to come upon the Egyptians, God's destruction upon the army of Egypt. And we're going to see that God who knows all things and had this plan even before the Israelites came into this land. He knew that they would go into slavery, but God endured with patience vessels prepared for destruction for a day that God was going to make everything right. Yeah, and this, um, to me, kind of brings up, there's always the, the age-old question of, you know, why is there evil in the world? And here a lot of the atheists or, or people that don't believe in God, you know, say, well, if there was a God, there wouldn't be these bad things, and there wouldn't be the evil stuff that happens. But, you know, I think going back to verse 20, who are we to ask, you know, why God made these things and why this happens? And this gets into probably a bigger discussion about free will and the fall of man. But to me, this kind of speaks to that. And I know it's in the context of the Jewish people and who he's chosen and who he's using. But yeah, I think this kind of is a little bit of that counter argument to anyone that says, well, if there was God, there wouldn't be evil or there wouldn't be suffering. And that's kind of how they used to justify there is no God. Well, I would look at the atheist that even brings up that point by him bringing up that point. He's proving that the Word of God in the Bible is true. If you're a true atheist, you cannot believe in the concept of evil. From a biblical worldview, God is holy and God is good, and sin is rebellion against God that brought forth evil, and the consequences of sin is death. So for them to even mention why is there evil is a proclamation or it is a confirmation that God's Word is true. Now, if you go back to Romans chapter 1, it was mankind that walked away from God from the very beginning. And because of that, the consequences of their sin saturated the whole world. The destruction of the family, immorality, idolatry, and all forms of evil within society, but it's coming out of a people that refuse to acknowledge God. Where does evil come from? From a person 
a family, a people that refuse to acknowledge God. So for an atheist to look back and say, well, if there's all this evil in the world, then he is actually acknowledging that God's word, the Bible, is true. And as mankind walked away from God, there are consequences for their sin. So it's a really illogical argument that the atheist uses or the agnostic uses because it really confirms that God's word is true. Here we are dealing with the context of God the potter developing from the clay one vessel for honorable use and one for dishonorable use. One he is showing mercy upon, the other he has prepared for destruction. The context is the Israelites, the tribes of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel in the land of Egypt that is in slavery and God is having patience during this time. But there's a day that's coming that God has prepared that he's going to bring destruction upon the Egyptians. Now, when we look at this, a person that is coming from Reformed theology will say that this is a arbitrary choosing of God to say, one, I'm going to show mercy, the other, I'm going to harden their hearts. I would look at it within the context of what Paul is saying, not just the immediate context, but the overall context, is based upon the foreknowledge of God, God knowing all things, God knew that the Israelites would be put into slavery before they came into the land of Egypt, and he knew that the pharaohs would be harsh upon them. And when we look at this, God endured this with much patience for a day of destruction that he was going to bring upon the pharaohs and their dynasties and upon the Egyptian people. It's based upon the foreknowledge of God. That's the immediate context. That is the overall context of the whole Bible. It does not eliminate the free will of Pharaoh or the Israelites. It does not take away their choice to do what is right or to do what is wrong. Pharaoh had a free will, but with the truth, God hardened his heart, and his heart became more hard all the time, and God knew that this would take place. He was hardening his heart with the truth. What was the message? Let my people go. Release them. Let them go. But every time that he decided to do that, God hardened his heart, and he became more defiant the whole time. God knew this. God prepared a day of destruction for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Yeah, and I'll mention again, like I did last podcast, you know, Pharaoh had every opportunity to you know, repent and let the Israelites go and do what they needed to do. At one point, he said, okay, go for it after, you know, all the severe plagues. But hypothetically, if Pharaoh would have repented and and said, this is the one true God, the God of the Israelites, and I'm going to let you go and worship, yeah, God would have forgiven him. But as God knew that he wasn't going to do that, that his pride was too much. But the opportunity was there, and he could have asked for forgiveness, and God would have been right there. Yes, and that's true all the way through the Bible. And God is not willing that any should perish. He is wanting mankind to come to repentance. But a God that knows all things, God is the only one true God, and he knows all things. He had prepared a day of destruction for the Egyptians, and that day was coming, and the Israelites were going to be allowed to go into freedom, set free from the bondage that they were in in Egypt. Verse 23, And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. 
So he suffered, I shouldn't use the word suffered, but he had patience through all this time of suffering for the Israelites for a day of destruction, but this was to show the vessels of mercy his glory. And think about the trust that they could have in God, the faith that they could have in God, because they saw with their own eyes the mercy of God being poured out upon the Israelites and God's protection and God's provision and God's guidance out of bondage into a land that he had promised their forefather Abraham. Verse 24, even us. Now Paul is turning these principles back to the believers in the church in Rome. And again, when I say the church of Rome, I'm not talking about a building, but a community of faith of believers. Even us, whom he also called, not from among the Jews only, but also from among the Gentiles. Even us, there was a plan that God would show his mercy upon us, upon the Gentiles. Now Paul's going to quote from Hosea in verses 25 and 26. And he's also going to quote in the rest of the chapter from Isaiah, from verses 27 through 33, a lot of different quotes from Isaiah. But let's look at verses 25 and 26. And I want to explain this because he's talking about the Gentiles, but these verses of Hosea is written to Israel, the northern kingdom. So some people say, well, he's quoting out of context here because he's talking about the Gentiles, but he's quoting to the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. And I don't believe he's quoting out of context here. The southern kingdom was Davidic. It had Jerusalem as its capital. The kings were coming from the family of David. This was the line that God had held a covenant with that the Messiah would come from. When we look at the northern kingdom, it was not Davidic. Its places of worship were Bethel and Dan. And you look at these places of worship and what did they establish in these two cities? But they established the golden calf. And the calf that they would come and say that this is the God of Israel and they would worship the golden calf. They were pantheistic. They developed their own priesthood. They were completely pagan. Child sacrifices took place in the north. Samaria, in time, became its capital, and we're going to see that they're going to have a lot of influence upon Jerusalem and Judea and really weaken the spiritual faith of the Jewish people. Judah was Benjamin and the tribe of Judah and Levitical cities that were in the south as well. So when we look in this context... At this time, historically, Israel, the brother of Judah, is really pagan. It is Gentile. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 9, it is called the Galilee of the Gentiles or the Galilee of the nations. And so they looked upon the north as pagan in the same context as Gentiles. And we know that the north is going to be destroyed. Israel, the northern kingdom, will be destroyed. So when Paul quotes from Hosea about the Gentiles, I believe that it is very appropriate and in the same context that this promise that was for Israel, the northern kingdom that was pagan, that was considered forsaken of God, was not a part of the Davidic kingdom and outside of God's plan of salvation, it can also be quoted for the Gentiles. In fact, 
part of that region is called the Galilee of the Gentiles. Here, Paul writes, and he says also in Hosea, I will call those who were not my people, my people. That is God speaking to the northern kingdom. And her who was not beloved, beloved. And it shall be that in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, They are not the people of God. They do not have a future as the people of God in the present context in which they are in. There they shall be called the sons of the living God. And that is a quote from Hosea chapter 1. So a people that is not my people shall be called sons of the living God. That is the same principle that Paul is using for the Gentiles that a people that are not my people, they shall be called the sons of the living God. This is the plan that God has for the nations, for the Gentiles. Now, when you go into Isaiah, you see this very clearly from the four servant songs that we see in Isaiah in chapter 42, 49, 50, and 53, including three verses from 52 as well. Now, let's continue here. Verse 27, a quote from Isaiah 10. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. So, from Israel up in the north, there was always a remnant. There were always a select few people that were serving God. Verse 28, For the Lord will execute his word on the earth Thoroughly and quickly. Verse 29, and just as Isaiah foretold, unless the Lord of hosts had left to us a seed or posterity, we would have become like Sodom and would have resembled Gomorrah. These people up in the north, the only reason why they were not completely destroyed was because of a faithful few individuals that were not pagan, were not worshiping the idols, were not going to the high places, were not going to Bethel or up to Don in the north and bowing down to the golden calf. They had not bowed their knees to the Baals, but they were worshiping the true God. So this northern kingdom, a people that is not my people, there they shall be called the sons of the living God. That same principle is applied to the Gentiles. And why was Israel not completely destroyed as a nation? It was because of the remnant that stayed faithful to God. Verse 30, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness, even though the righteousness which is by faith. Gentiles were not seeking God. They were not coming after the one true God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. So they were not pursuing righteousness, but when the gospel came to them, by faith they received God's salvation and God's righteousness was poured out upon their lives by His grace through faith. Look at verse 31. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. We know that the law cannot bring about the righteousness of God, but they were pursuing a law of righteousness, did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. And please understand, going back from the beginning of this letter, we have always come to God by God's grace through faith. 
By the works of the law shall no individual, no person be justified in the sight of God. It is the people of faith that the law was given to. The righteous shall live by faith. Israel did not come to God's righteousness because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though it were by works, they stumbled over the stumbling block thinking that they can have their own righteousness by their own works, that they could be holy and righteous before God. If that's the case, why would they need a Messiah, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53? Why would they need him? He became a stumbling block to them, just as it is written in Isaiah 28 and Isaiah 8. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Because Israel was trying to pursue God by their own works, thinking by their own works that they could be righteous before God, and not trying to come through faith, which is the way that we've always come to God, by God's grace through faith. Why would they need Isaiah 53? Why would they need a man dying on the cross for their sins, because they're trying to pursue God's righteousness by their own actions and developing a self-righteousness, which is actually becoming a stumbling block. So when they look at the cross, that is something that they think is cursed of God. But on the cross was their righteousness, and their sins could be atoned for, could be forgiven by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But they're not trying to pursue the righteousness of God that comes through faith. But the Gentiles are finding that through faith. Yeah, and I like how verse 30, where you know we're not even pursuing him as Gentiles, but in his mercy, he's pursuing us. And I think that's just a profound kind of statement about God's grace and his love for just humanity and his creation, is that he's pursuing us even when we, as Gentile believers, weren't looking for him, you know, don't have the history. Yeah, and then you see Israel, who does have the history, gets it mixed up. Um, and they start to go after the, the works for rewards and checking off the boxes that makes us holy. And they sort of lost that simple childlike faith and said, well, it's all these rules, regulations that are going to bring us to God. And we know them. We have the history. But no, it's just that simple faith, like you said, it's always been. And God pursued you know, Israel pursued Abraham, he pursued Isaac, he pursued you know, Moses. You know, they didn't have it all together then either, and it was by grace that he pursued Amen. them at the beginning and can forget that because of all the history of Israel and, and he did choose them as his, his people, but he had to pursue them first. Moses or Abraham wasn't out there necessarily looking for God. God knew his heart and knew, you know, he wanted it, but God had to find him just like he has to find all of us. Yes, and you make such an incredible point that the Gentiles were not pursuing righteousness. In the Gentile world, they didn't even have a strong concept of sin. Why would they need the forgiveness of sins? But here, God is pursuing them. And these Jewish believers, these remnant of the Jewish people that did believe in their own Messiah, is going to the Gentiles presenting a new covenant through the Jewish Messiah about the forgiveness of sins. And there's the conviction of God's Spirit upon their lives. And they start believing and having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And they start coming into God's righteousness through faith. But the Jewish people as a nation, not all of them, but as a nation, is rejecting their own Messiah because they are pursuing a righteousness which comes by their own works. And by our own works 
can we never stand before a holy and righteous God and be understood as clean and blameless and righteous? And when we look at that, all of us need a Savior, both Jew and Gentile alike. We all have sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. And Israel needed their own Messiah to once and for all die for the sins of Israel, and from Israel salvation would come to the world. And it did happen, but the nation rejected their own Messiah. And because they were pursuing a righteousness by works, and there's many people today that have the same mentality, whatever background that they're coming from. They want to know God. They want to experience God. They want to have a relationship with God. And they think by the things that they can do that it will produce a relationship with God. When in actuality, it is God's grace through the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross and by faith in him are we made righteous. And so you need to relax. You need to sit down. You need to slow down. You need to look at your heart and your own life and ask the question, do I need the forgiveness of sins? And understand there's only one that can forgive sins, and that is God. And God has given his son that laid down his life for your sins, and by faith you can receive God's forgiveness today. By faith you can come into a new covenant relationship with God today. By faith you can be adopted into his family, just like the Israelites were adopted by God's grace through faith. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that today that we can know you, we can have a relationship with you, We can know your righteousness upon our lives, and it comes by faith in Yeshua, the Messiah, by Jesus, the Christ. And we put our faith and trust in him, and in him we know that we will never be disappointed. And Lord, for those that have stumbled over him, God, I pray that their eyes will be opened and their ears will be unclogged and their hearts will be open to receive the word of truth, the word of salvation. Let it come to their lives, the word of faith, your salvation into their hearts. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at And connect with us on Instagram at Integrity underscore Global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.